I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present the Liturgy Guys. Yeah, so Catechism uh, Part 2 is Celebration of the Christian Mystery. And let's see, in our first episodes, we talked about the purpose of the Christian mystery, which is God's glory and the, the world's sanctification or divinization. Um, we talked about how God the Father works in the liturgy as yeah. the source and goal. We talked about how the Son works in the economy of salvation and in the liturgy, which is the Paschal mystery, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then how the Holy Spirit works in the liturgy by yeah. preparing us for the coming of Christ, by uh, gradually revealing Christ, by actualizing Christ uh, truly before us and uniting the church. And that's, I think, where we left off. How oh, And also helping see, us that, remember. That's one thing I loved from that section on the Holy Spirit is helping us remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what that living Christ memory. really do? You know, how do we remember it? And in remembering, the Holy Spirit is the church's uh, living memory. So when the church and the Spirit remember something, that memory becomes present and active in the here and now. Anamnesis, baby. That's right. Mm-hmm. But these are, these are good things. I mean, every, I think every informed Catholic, every, anyone who's can, you know, serious about celebrating the liturgy should be able to say to a certain degree, uh, what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing, how they work in the liturgy, because the liturgy is principally their work, their action. If you don't know that, then it's kind of hard to Yeah, well, you know, until we started serious. talking about this in the podcast, I'm not sure that I would have had the words articulated and ready to go about the, the persons of the Trinity. I think we kind of mm. know Jesus does something. Maybe the Father receives it. The Holy Spirit sort of comes down and does some things. Yeah. But like, I didn't have the precision of, of these words and... Um, to think of liturgy as the work of the Trinity and not just the work mm-hmm. of Christ or not just the work of the people in the church, the priest and the people at that moment. That's a yeah. big broadening and expansive understanding of, of liturgy. So there's a lot going on in the, yeah. within the Trinity. That's your uh, theology, right? Theology is the work of the mm-hmm. Trinity. Is that correct? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's it's. No, yeah, but it's not mine. I, somewhere, somewhere in this big book, it says that theology is how God works, uh, the, kind of the relationship of the divine persons amongst themselves uh, right. within the Godhead, and economy is how God acts ah. outside of himself. But uh, as God is in himself, so he acts uh, outside of himself. And so, yeah, yeah Trinity like, present and active in the liturgy, doing like most of the heavy lifting. Wake up tired and you have bad thoughts and you haven't had your coffee yet, you start acting out of that bad mood not you chris but you know <laughs> then after one the, one would have that one would yeah then yeah. after the no, coffee we don't like, say uh, one anymore nailed it do you even listen to these podcasts <laughs> that, was, that was funny i like that one <laughs> we're kind of moving from the theology the inner working of um the trinity to the economy i guess and this section where, where are we starting here at eleven thirteen in the catechism uh, yeah, eleven thirteen. Uh, let's see, what is it called? The Paschal Mystery in Christ in the Church's Sacraments. And so, what what this section is is all that we've said so far about the liturgy. It really gets uh, concrete, if you can put it that way, tangible, 
tasteable, smellable, touchable, seeable, right? So all of this kind of highfalutin uh, theologizing that we've been doing, I mean, it really comes to a point, uh, a touch point in the sacrament. So we're, we're really bringing it down to, to the liturgical celebration. And so uh, in, this, in this part, I guess this is what, Article 2, uh, beginning at 1113, the, the, the catechism gives us kind of five truths about the sacraments. And we're going to at least start on this today, that the sacraments are of Christ. The sacraments are of the church. The sacraments are of faith, the sacraments of salvation and the sacraments of eternal life. So we're getting a little yeah. bit more precise, but some some finer details on this uh, celebration of the mystery. Right. So as you are fond of saying, Chris, there are many ways to discuss liturgy, sociological, ritual, legal, history. We're talking about not just people getting the book right. Oh, that's good to do that. We're talking about the very nature of what God wants. So this is the challenge, right? Christ heals people. Christ does things. He baptizes, whatever, and then he's gone, right? He goes back to the Father. And so remembering that the church is the mystical body of Christ, the continuing action of Christ in the world so that Christ can keep doing what he was doing on earth. And now we're going to talk about how that happens. So you are yeah, my well, genius even, friend, Chris. <laughs> what, 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 do, uh, what do liturgical institute types, um, I mean, what's our focus at the LI, Dennis and Jesse? Sacramental theology. Sacramental theology. So again, like, like you said, Dennis, there's so many ways to look at the liturgy. Our not unique uh, vantage point. Uh, it, it's it's not particular to us, but the emphasis at the allies to consider the liturgy sacramentally. And so even when you mentioned uh, the church is the mystical body, uh, we're fond, you know, of this kind of, uh, of ecclesiology that treats even the church as a sacrament, that she's the, the visible, audible manifestation of the invisible mystical body of Christ. And she, works for yeah. the same motives that Christ does and does the same things Christ does. And not, and not just the liturgy, Chris, but, but all things, looking yeah. at all things with that sacramental view. Um, and that kind of harkens back to our, the motto that we have at the LI, which is from Pope Pius X, to restore all things in Christ. Christ. And so yep. it, it, this, in principle, we're going to talk about the sacraments properly, but that expands, you know, into really everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is so, the sacraments right, well, of Christ, Chris? What is, what's that about? Yeah, this is, uh, I guess this, this kind of has to do with uh, how the sacraments were instituted by Christ. And again, in the, in the history of sacramental theology, there's all sorts of, uh, I don't know, theories and thinking about um, how Christ instituted the sacraments. So it seems like on one extreme, you know, Imagine at the uh, at the ascension, Jesus hands to the these new bishops like the rite of confirmation, the book, and he says, yeah. "Now I just I want I want you to take note at number twenty three, where it says that the sponsor is to put his right hand on the shoulder of the confirmant." Well, okay, that doesn't yeah. seem like that. That's what happened. He didn't hand over ritual books yeah, and the bowl of lemons, right? It's like the lemons that's, cut in half. Got to have Jesus the lemons to get that uh, yeah. oil off. Do you know about the lemons, Jesse? <laughs> The lemon, uh, the acidity in the lemon helps remove the oil, right? Yeah. So or is there like another could thing? wash his hands without, you know, getting his yeah, Dawn yeah. liquid soap yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One last thing before I ascend. Remember the lemons. You won't regret <laughs> yes. it. Not limes. Uh, 
Uh, on the other hand, he probably didn't just say he had these kind of general ideas and thoughts about, you know, sacramental things. He said, you all figure it out, you early church, just how this is to happen. That seems to be out of bounds as uh, as well. So it's, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And, you know, doctors and Orthodox teachers uh, disagree on uh, just how precisely Christ instituted the sacraments. But what's uh, how the, how the and, and in some ways, the catechism here at 11, 14, 15 and 16. Yeah, fifteen really. It. Yeah, that that's kind of well. Go ahead. What? How does the how does the catechism come down on this question of the institution of the sacraments? Can you feel how excited we're getting, Jesse? Chris and I are building up our enthusiasm. Eleven fifteen. I love eleven fifteen. Oh my gosh! You yeah. guys didn't even want to go back to the catechism before no, we do. Chris is always Mister. Oh, okay. Mr. Oh, okay. No, no, no. But um, it says the mysteries of Christ's life are the foundations of what He would henceforth henceforth dispense in the sacraments. In other words. Christ healed people, anointed people, sent the Holy Spirit. He, you know, did all these things. And now they're going to be in the sacraments of the church because his body, as it was in his own earthly lifetime, is not here to do it. So it has to be his mystical body. Those are the people to whom he gave this work. But it's not just merely, you know, deputing people to do what he um, can't do anymore. It's doing it as him, for him, through him, with him and in him, all that language through the ministers of the church, right? We talk about a priest being in persona, Christi Capitis, in the, in the headship or in the person of Christ. And then there's the great phrase from Leo the Great, Chris. I'll let you say it because I know it'll make you uh, happy. Yeah. What is that phrase? Yeah, yeah. this is about as common as uh, active participation as a goal to be considered before all else or uh, restore all things in Christ. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is a common one. What was visible in our Savior has passed over into his mysteries or into right. his sacraments. Right. Mystery means sacrament. It doesn't mean inscrutable. We don't know, although there's an mm-hmm. aspect of that. But whenever you see mystery, put the word sacrament in there and it helps you understand. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think what they're getting and what you're saying, Dennis, is, is uh, you know, in, in the year 2021, the same Jesus does his same saving actions to the same people that he has made. The only difference is, is that now he does it through the medium of sacraments rather than say face to face. But again, you know, another point here. So I think, you know, for reading this right, you know, to the question, how did Jesus institute the sacrament of anointing? I think the answer is less what you read in the letter of uh, St. James about send presbyters to lay hands and anoint. But the institution of the sacrament of anointing was when Jesus healed people. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did Jesus institute the sacrament of confirmation? Well, by breathing them, upon them the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he's doing those same things, forgiving you, sending the Holy Spirit, healing you, uh, you know, and all of the rest today. He's doing those same things, but now the medium is a different one. It's right. through the sacraments. And James is saying it because Christ did it, right? We don't do it because James said it. James said it because Christ did it and wants it to continue in his church. Yeah. Yeah. I've found that, uh, you know, when... I first studied the catechism as a student at the Liturgical Institute uh, under Monsignor Manu. This, this, this was a little bit difficult concept to grasp. And when I try to teach about it today, it, it remains so. You know, so like, how did Jesus institute the sacrament of marriage? Well, he showed up at a wedding. <laughs> well, n- no, not principally. Kind of like, you know, analogous, Dennis, to that letter of St. James. I mean, that's all kind of uh, compiling the evidence, but he did it by marrying uh, the church, 
the new Eve that was born out of his side. That's what instituted uh, marriage. And then, of course, there's other scriptural uh, stories and accounts that uh, that uh, that lead to that. In fact, some uh, theologians, you know, they say, you know, there's these there's the accounts in Christ's life, you know, the mysteries of what he did and what he said. But really, all sacraments lead back to the open heart of Jesus. Their true foundation and their true establishment comes from his heart, opened uh, by the soldier's lance upon the cross. And that blood and the water and the grace and the divine life flows out into these seven principal channels, which are the sacraments. But yeah, why, why it, do we need why do we need seven of these? Why can't we just have the one sacrament of the cross uh, and his and the Paschal mystery? Yeah, well, I think the answer, uh, Jesse, is in some ways it's it's both the how the catechism itself says is we have seven principal uh, occasions of grace because there are seven principal occasions in the supernatural life, your supernatural rebirth. And this is all paralleling sort of natural events, your supernatural wait, rebirth. Wait, wait, Chris, it's not a yes. It's not a church thing. It's a human thing. <laughs> That's your favorite line. Yeah. Okay, Can I sorry. say that? You say that a lot. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you usually say something about hummus at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. you talk about Aiden Nichols, but we'll talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a little bit later. <laughs> um, yeah, so on the human plane, fellas, you have a natural birth and a natural growth and a natural nourishment and a natural uh, restoration of health, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so on the supernatural level, these seven natural events are paralleled by seven supernatural sacraments, natural rebirth and natural nourishment and uh, supernatural uh, leadership, supernatural uh, propagation uh, and whatnot. So... Yeah, but I think, but as I was saying, you know, so Jesse, you have these seven sacraments, but in some ways, the fundamental sacrament. Now, you guys will chastise me again because oh, yes. saying this because I think I do this again. You remember what uh, things that are made of matter and form are called in Aristotelian philosophy or Thomistic philosophy? Boom. Eponemas? No. Hylomorphic. Oh, yeah. Hylomorphic. And apparently, in Greek, hele means not simply matter, but wood. And morphe, which means form, or in sacramental theology, the words that inform the matter. And so the ultimate sacrament of salvation is one, as you're asking, Jesse, and that's on the cross you've got oh. the eternal word uh, affixed to the uh, wood of the cross and that's kind of the the ultimate hylomorphic sacrament of our salvation so these seven channels kind of run back through the heart of christ who is the word uh, the wood on the word and give us access uh, back to the father and so I'm that's why i think yeah i'm having another intellectual man crush on you that's, chris <laughs> Sometimes you say stuff. Yeah. If any of this is if any of this is true, it's just because I've ripped it off. You know, it's funny. People. I was home with my mom a few weeks ago, and she doesn't really know how to listen to the podcast on her phone. So we were in the car visiting my sister, and was like, "Let's listen to a podcast." And that was the one where I talked about having an intellectual man crush on you. And then Jesse said, "What about me?" And I said, "I have a crush on you for different reasons." Like, I better not play this with my mom in the car. So I turned the volume down for a few seconds and turned it back up again. So. <laughs> oh, well, I thought this I, was I a can family mark that podcast. One, I can mark that one as explicit for you if you know. Oh, yeah. 
This podcast is explicit. Yeah, uh, and so is God's love for us, right? He's like, man, you know, I want this to continue. As you were talking, you reminded me of Dr. Fagerberg's lovely little book, The Christian Meaning of Time, and how time is created by God so that these graces can be uh, unrolled and unfurled and made available as people are born, right? And so until the last person is born, God has to find a way to keep this going. If it were only the 33 years of Christ's lifetime, you know, people in year 34, five, six, whatever would be out of luck, right? So how does God keep doing this? Through time, through his church, through people, and the, all the sacraments are how, it's actually, it says sacraments are powers that come forth. Sacraments aren't things so much as they are powers that come forth from Christ. So the sacraments are like the infinity stones and the cross is like the infinity gauntlet. Yeah, and the infiniteness mm. is God's own divine life. So. Chris, you're on the same mm. level there. No? no? Well, I, no, it reminded me last night at dinner we were talking about, uh, the conversation was, are you a Star Wars fan? And uh, I'm a Star Wars fan, but why are people so attracted to Avengers or, uh, or Star Wars or something like that? Because they're and, supernatural. Uh, well, it's there's some there, there's something missing in their lives, and that's you know this this idea of this uh, of I don't know of their perfection, of excellence, of divinization, of you know this great myth that brings us into contact with something above ourselves. Well, I mean, the faith has all that, but when you ditch the faith, and you got to look for it in galaxies far, far away, and uh, infinity stones and whatnot. But I think there's more parallels between Star Wars and uh, Avengers and, uh, <laughs> and the faith in the liturgy than people might uh, yeah, admit. Well, first, I never get tired of talking about the gems, mm-hmm. you know, of the high priest breastplate and the heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah. And here it is. You collect the gems and you have the power, like they're looking for this eschatological condition. But in the uh, self-guided earthly sense, that would be the demonic sense, I would think. This sense. Actually, just to distract this conversation even farther, yeah. I was watching uh, with uh, Ingrid the other night, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And who is Ingrid? And... Uh, she, uh, Ingrid's uh, your daughter. I don't know, she's one of the kids. One of your kids. Yeah. And um, do you remember when they opened up the ark? Yes. And so I thought of you when I was yeah, watching the this. Face yeah. melts, right? Yeah. Well, before the face melting part. Yeah, but all the yeah. smoke comes out and everything. But what? Uh, what's his name? A Belloc. What he's wearing is he as I, I know this is you know he Steve has Spiel, the whole whatever. high priest outfit on. Yeah, he has the whole high priest outfit on with the the I don't know the the head garment and mm-hmm. the, the the what do they call it the chest uh, the, the breastplate the, yeah. of judgment. the breastplate yeah with the twelve stones yeah. on it yeah. so he dares to put this on and open the ark and comes to regret it but yeah he's he's dressed up just as I've heard you explain uh, in the past. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Hollywood. Yeah. All right. So we got through one of these five here. So we got through one. We can get through another one probably. The sacraments of the church, right? So sacraments of Christ and then of the church. Meaning what there, Chris? Yeah, I think, uh, well, kind of like we were hinting at before that uh, I get these terms confused. uh, Like... uh, Maybe to the chagrin of some, uh, like Carl Rahner calls uh, the Christ the one of them's the fundamental sacrament and the other's uh, the primary sacrament. You know that that Jesus is the one or the other. I don't remember which. The 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 primary sacrament of God to see yeah. Jesus is to see the Father and whatnot. Right. And the church is called the fundamental sacrament of Christ. That to see the church offer the sacrifice is to see Jesus offering the sacrifice. And I think that's what these next sections under the sacraments of the church are getting at from eleven seventeen to eleven twenty one. That 
these seven things are kind of a subset or subspecies of the church herself. They're kind of the, uh, the lifeblood of the church, which is the sacraments. And so it'll say in, what, 1118, that yep. sacraments are of the church. Well, go ahead. Yeah, they're by her and for her. So of the church, meaning that the church is sort of the guardian of this, right? They call it a double sense, right? It's of the church and that the church is... Uh, doing it right so it's by her but also for the church because the members of the church are the ones who will receive and have this grace uh, communicated to them in eleven nineteen, is funny it says the church forms as it were one mystical person with christ as the head so we might think you know i'm in parish x and you're in parish y and our parking lot's bigger than yours or you know your church is newer than ours and then there's guatemala and china but all of those worshipers are one mystical person with Christ as the head. And so the, the many members together form this one person who is Christ, and they do what Christ does. Yeah, and it says in that same paragraph, what is it, the, the footnotes here to Lumen Gentium and to one of your favorite documents, that the church is this organically structured priestly community. In other words, it's this order of priests, an order of priests, which is really the, we should say this for the etymolo uh, etymology uh, podcast, H hierarchy is uh, an order or structure of sacred uh, beings or priestly beings. So everybody who's in this mystical person is participating in uh, the priesthood of Christ. And there's these two two principal participations in the one priesthood, the ministerial or hierarchical priesthood and the common uh, priesthood of the baptized. But everybody, each according to his own place or order in the church, uh, has some priestly activity, some, some oblation to hand over and some activity in giving it uh, over to God. And so everybody has a part in these uh, sacraments. They're not private things. They're... Yeah. Roles of the church in each of its members. Right. So, Jesse, you're a priest. You should go tell people I'm a priest. I just realized I'm a priest. Why is that? What does I'm a priest, a priest do? Forever in the line of Melchizedek. Yeah, well, <laughs> a priest offers and pleads. That's what they say. Beg and they offer. And so the priest, so the ordained priest, has the responsibility for the whole membership of his segment of the mystical body. And, of course, the pope has it for the whole church. And the bishop has it for the whole diocese. You have it for your own family. And you have the, what it means is you have the dignity to actually offer yourself and that which is given to you to God. You don't just sort of wait around in the back and say, oh, well, the priest has got the magic power, so I'll just, you know, dump my basket of sacrifice at the door and run away before I get fried by yeah. bolts of lightning. So you can't, Dennis, uh, even if you're in Italy, I mean, you can't skip out and go, you know, smoke cigarettes on the... Uh, Outside uh, on the porch during yeah, get you're a showing your age, Chris. It's <laughs> yeah. now vaping. Vaping, yeah. You know what I did find out here is cappuccino is only for breakfast in Italy. You're not allowed to have a cappuccino after dinner like we do in America. So that's uh, not. I thought it was a digestivo. Way. Well, you can have that too, but you know, in America, sometimes Italian restaurants people have cappuccino or coffee after dinner. It's a breakfast drink. I, but I thought that was. I thought. I thought cappuccino was to help the digestion. Well, digestivos technically are alcohol, some kind of alcohol, but oh. uh, but you you can have coffee after dinner, but you can only have cappuccino, like that lemon jello stuff that yeah, you get. Lemon jello, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of cappuccino, though, somebody asked me this the other day, Dennis, what's the relationship between cappuccinos and, and cappuccinos? Uh, yeah, and cappuccinos. You know, Father Emery de Gaulle used to talk about all the time. Didn't the cappuccinos 
invent that kind of coffee or something? I don't remember. I thought it was the brown of the, the coffee color. was. Yeah. Isn't there isn't there a monkey or something? There's a capuchin monkey too that looks like a capuchin yeah. fryer. Yeah. A capuchin monkey. <laughs> oh. That's how then they open. They, the, then that's there's how they the monks the that work at. Get it? Get it? What? That, that's how they open the door. The capuchin how? monk key. Key. Oh. oh, I was gonna say. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was gonna say that there's those monks that are in charge of the casino. When you uh, when you turn it, yeah. After you you're done playing, <laughs> you turn in your poker chips, and they they call them uh, uh, chipmunks. Oh, there you go in Monte Casino. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So anyway, we're pretty much time to like wrap up this podcast. This one. So, it is right. actually. Jesus, back with the Father, wants us all to participate in all the good blessings that he has to give us. How does he do it? Through the church. Who does it? The church. Who is the church? The people with their priestly head forming one mystical body. And they both do and receive those graces. So there you go. We have, uh, what, three more aspects of uh, this mystery to talk about. And we'll yeah. do that next time on Another day. The Maybe next guys. year. Who knows? Maybe not yeah. the next time. But- but if you want to go back and check our math, make sure we're uh, conveying this properly. This podcast was eleven thirteen to eleven twenty one. In the oh, I'm glad that you, you said it. that because sometimes I yeah. have to go back and listen. What we go? I said it for you, Jesse. Oh, yeah. thanks, Chris. All right, all right. Liturgy boys. question. Yeah. So why go to the liturgical institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Dennis, do we have a question this week? I think it's from Kunigunda Jesse. I mean, uh, Rediger Jesse. (laughs) Well, it's not from Kunigunda Jesse. No, this week, we have a question from Patrick. And Patrick says, hello, liturgy guys. Hello. Hello, Patrick. Patrick. I love the podcast, and I have a question about decorating our church for Lent. What are some things that we can do to make our church look appropriate during Lent, and what are some things that we should not do during Lent? This is an interesting question, right? How do you decorate for a thing that's not meant to be decorated, right, or ornamented, as I would say in my precise terminology? Chris? You have the general instruction yeah. memorized, don't you? So, uh, no, 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 no. I think here's a here's a paraphrase of uh, one paragraph. I don't remember which one it is. Oh, yes, it's number 305. It says... <laughs> Chris is being my, my goodness, every time. <laughs> During Advent, the floral decoration of the altar should be marked by a moderation suited to the character of this time of year. Okay, how about Lent? During Lent... During Lent, it is forbidden for the altar to be decorated with flowers. Okay. Exceptions, however, are Laetare Sunday, Solemnities, and Feasts. Okay, so what do we have there? It only says flowers, but I assume they 
when they wrote this, they were not thinking there'd be pumpkins and cactus and bowls of sand and, you know, all the things that people do, you know, crowns of thorns and giant swags of black fabric, you know, hanging across whatever. Sackcloth. Yeah. The principle here is the ascetic discipline of Lent is that you don't decorate for Lent, right? You don't decorate. So to say, how do we decorate for Lent is kind of, uh, in my mind anyway, an inappropriate question. Unless there are moments of festivity, as Chris listed those feasts there, which are kind of exceptions uh, to the Lenten uh, practice. So what's more Lenten? A whole bunch of stuff that's about cactus and sand and desert, or no stuff at all that reminds us of the aesthetic discipline. What's more about Lent? You know, drinking liquids you hate the taste of or just giving up liquids entirely. So I would say, simple question, don't decorate in Lent and let that be your Lenten discipline. Do you agree, Chris? It sounds too simple, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's, that's it's it. It's like going to an opera and asking somebody, hey, what types of chants should we uh, all proclaim while we go to the opera? Well, you're not... You're there to listen to what's going on. You're not there to actively do something else. There's yeah, the like, absence of that. Right. What? Yeah. And so, you know, Lent is a particular thing. It's not so much an anticipation of Easter as much as the preparation for Easter through this kind of uh, self-deprivation. And that's the best way to do it. You know, reduce the organ, right, in Lent. You reduce a lot of things so that when they actually do happen on Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's, wow, I haven't had this for a long time. And boy, is it great. I don't know. Nothing helps me avoid sin like a big bowl of sand, Dennis. So I'll have yeah. to think about this one <laughs> right. a little further. Mm-hmm. So no sand in the holy water fonts, all that stuff, you know, just let Lent be Lent. And that is, as Chris read it, the sort of absence of decoration rather than the decoration of Lenten themed things. <laughs> Chris, anything you want to add? No, other than... Uh I, uh, that was a great answer. I didn't know that you were going to say that, but it makes so much sense. So thanks, Dennis. I learned a lot from Thank that. Thank you, Chris. Answer. Are you That's having an intellectual man crush on me? Not yet. Oh, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. All right. Well, All right. You Patrick. have a question. Hey, oh, Patrick, sorry. that was a good question. Dennis, that was a decent answer. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Or you can, Dennis, they can parlay you or parlay yeah, you. Yeah, they can uh, D-Mac you, super the taster. There? They can D-Mac super taster me at parlor, which is now back <laughs> up online. <laughs> All right. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake at Aremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.